Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark and there's no Bethan this week. She's been back one week and she's already had enough. Um, I'm just kidding, I promise. She, she's not very well this week, so she's going to sit this one out. And if you'd heard her, you would know that I'm doing you a favour because she sounds a complete fucking mess. Um, she will definitely be back next week because we've already recorded that episode, so I know that for a fact. Uh, but yeah, get well soon, Bethan. Okay, let's take a moment to thank our most recent Patreon supporters before we dive into this week's episode. So they are Michelle Wildman, Neve, Chris Lee Prince, Laura McArdle, Natalie Taylor, who increased her pledge, and also Jennifer Wilson, who signed up to support us annually. Thank you so much, guys. If you do sign up annually, then you get a 10% discount on your membership of this exclusive club. Um, Otherwise, you can just pay as you go. See if you like it. If you don't, you can cancel at any time. So if you do want to check us out over there, just head to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. In a seeing red first, for me at least, I have not one but two cases for your listening pleasure today. The case that I was going to cover, which I am still covering, was grossly underreported in my opinion, and as a result of that, there's not as much information out there. The second case is a nod to last week's episode, and both of today's cases have a central theme running right through them, and that's the theme of drug addiction. The first of today's cases is pretty recent, and it's a double whammy in itself really, because the person at the centre of it was found guilty of two very different crimes. One of causing death by dangerous driving, and the other of rape. These crimes were committed just seven months apart, the first as the country prepared for lockdown in February 2020. This is a pretty weird story to be honest. The perpetrator, a 39-year-old man named Paul Ballard, was a child star whose flame burnt out when he reached adulthood. What followed for him was a descent into drug addiction and depravity, a downward spiral that would ultimately see him sentenced to a total of 19 years in prison before the age of 40. But before we get stuck into all of that, 
Let's hear from the first of today's show sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so I think if you're under the age of 40 or thereabouts, then you're probably not going to remember this guy, Paul Ballard. He was a kids' TV presenter in the mid to late 90s, and I remember him vividly. He was just a kid himself when he started presenting the Disney Club in the mid 90s. But it's not this show that I remember him from. It's a show called Dig It, which he presented under the stage name of Des, with none other than podcast high priestess herself, Fern Cotton. Now, if you're not from these grey shores, then you probably won't know who Fern Cotton is. Since her debut as a kids' TV presenter alongside Paul Ballard, she has gone on to achieve huge success. First as a radio DJ, then as a primetime TV presenter, and more recently as a kind of wellness guru. She hosts a hugely successful podcast called Happy Place, she's written several books on wellness, and she's become a sort of national treasure in this country. Her books are bestsellers and millions of people listen to her podcast every week. So it would appear for Fern, success kind of chased her. And my reason for talking a little bit about Fern Cotton here is to sort of juxtapose her success with Paul's downfall. Because these two people found fame at the same time, on the same show, they were really good friends, and they could have both gone on to achieve the sort of success that Fern ultimately enjoyed. But for Paul, it just wasn't to be. Fate had a very different plan in store for him. While Fern was riding the crest of a showbiz wave, the work dried up for Paul and his last TV appearance was around the turn of the millennium in 2001 at the age of 19. And I suppose it's that classic story, isn't it? Cute child star grows up and no one wants to know. Now, it's not been easy finding out what happened to Paul Ballard in the years following his retirement from showbiz. Obviously, he re-entered the public consciousness following his heinous crimes, and we do know a little bit from the subsequent court case around one of those crimes, and also from the press reports around both of them, but really, his life post-fame is a little bit of a mystery. Even Fern Cotton admitted she had no clue what became of her one-time co-presenter when asked in an interview in 2012. She was quoted as saying, I don't know where Des has gone. We were like brother and sister. We worked together for years and years. We must have spoken on the phone about three years ago and then I haven't heard from him since. He's got a different number. I don't know what he's doing. And it was around this time that a Facebook group was set up in order to try and find Paul Ballard or Des as he was known to lots of people. And Fern said, I will join that group because I want to know where he is. It's bizarre. But I don't think Paul disappeared off the face of the earth or anything. I think this Facebook group was clearly set up in jest. It was all a bit tongue-in-cheek. He just no longer had a public profile. He'd moved on with his life and he'd lost touch with friends like we all do. But as I said, it has been really difficult to find out what happened to him between 2001 and 2019. But in a move that I am sure will make Bethan proud, I've done some digging. 
I appealed on Instagram for some information, uh, but got nowhere, unfortunately. I searched for Paul on LinkedIn and all of the socials, but I couldn't find anything. And by the way, have you got any idea how common the name Paul Ballard is? Seriously, there were literally hundreds of of them. Uh, But eventually I struck gold and... Actually, I should issue a disclaimer here because this isn't really very interesting, but I did find a Paul Francis Ballard born March 1982 on Company's House. So I'm not 100% sure this is him, but the date of birth matches. And I don't know if Paul Ballard's middle name was Francis, but it could have been. And interestingly, one of the companies he was listed on as a director was registered in the Essex village of Thaden Boys. And that's the same village that Paul was living in at the time he committed his crime. So I'm pretty certain that this is our man. And as I said, I've had to do this digging because there's basically no information in the press reports regarding Paul's recent background. And I think it's important that we try and establish that in order to set some context around his crimes. So Paul is listed on numerous companies. They're all dissolved now. I don't think any of them were particularly successful from the accounts I've looked at. But I suppose this does tell us that Paul became a businessman following his TV career. And I've done some further digging. As I said, he was living in Thaden Boys when he committed his offences last year. And I can't remember the name of the road uh, that he was living on, but I looked it up and took a tour via Street View. And it's a nice, leafy, suburban road. I then went on right move and I could see that semi-detached houses go for upwards of £900,000. So maybe Paul was doing all right for himself. Or maybe he was living with his parents. Again, there is so much we don't know for sure in this case. Let's look at some of the things we do know though. In 2016, Paul was suffering from a severe addiction to cocaine. He had two seizures that year, I'm guessing as a result of his addiction. Paul didn't notify his GP or the DVLA, which he absolutely should have done. The seizures came on without warning and on one occasion, Paul came to at the bottom of a flight of stairs in a pool of his own blood. These were clearly quite serious seizures and he really shouldn't have been driving. So whilst Paul didn't seek medical help for his seizures, they did perhaps act as a bit of a wake-up call for him because in 2017 he checked into a drug treatment centre. Unfortunately for Paul, however, it didn't work and he relapsed following his treatment for cocaine addiction and began to use the drug pretty much every day from here on in. In 2019, Paul suffered another seizure. He was clearly still struggling with his addiction and the following year, a catastrophic event sealed his fate and the fates of two innocent people. On the 20th of February in 2020, Paul was driving along Squirrels Heath Road in Romford in Essex. It was one o'clock in the afternoon and he had his 12-year-old son with him, sat beside him in the passenger seat. Now, although high on a cocktail of cocaine and cannabis, Paul was managing to observe the 30 mile per hour speed limit. Without warning, however, he suffered another seizure and this time he lost control of his car. His foot slammed onto the accelerator and the car reached a top speed of 104 miles per hour before ploughing into the back of another car. And I just wanted to discuss 
at this point that speed because I know there's probably only a handful of times in my life when I've been in a car that's traveling at 100 miles an hour or more and um, it's really scary it's even on a motorway you you feel like you're not in control of the car uh, one sudden jolt on the steering wheel could easily see the car flip over and I think to be traveling at speeds of up to 104 miles per hour in a residential area a 30 mile an hour zone clearly we can all see that that's going to be a recipe for disaster so as I said Paul plowed into the back of another car at this really high speed and that car belonged to a 64 year old woman called Eileen Haskell Eileen was traveling in a Ford Cougar which had stopped at traffic lights at the time of the collision she died as a result of multiple injuries and so too did a man named Richard Trezais he was a 48-year-old beloved school teacher, father and husband. And it was, you know, it, we'll put some pictures on, on our socials, but this really was a catastrophic scene. Paul had caused a multiple car pileup. Um, the crash site resembled a scene from a disaster movie. The London Fire Brigade had to cut a number of people free from their cars and six patients were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Blood samples revealed that Paul's blood contained 3.5 milligrams of THC, the principal psychoactive constituent of cannabis, and 32 milligrams of cocaine, which was more than three times the legal limit. He admitted to two counts of causing death by dangerous driving at a hearing in July of this year and a further charge of driving while uninsured was not pursued. So there was no court case for this particular crime as Paul admitted to his culpability. There was an initial hearing however and then a final hearing during which Paul was sentenced and he was bailed for quite some time pending that sentencing so this crash happened last year and his sentencing was in July of this year. At one of those hearings, Prosecutor Edward Franklin said Paul had flagrantly ignored the risk of driving when he had had seizures without warning before. And Sharon Trezise, who witnessed her husband Richard's death in the collision along with their son, said in a victim impact statement that Richard had worked as a school teacher for more than two decades, most recently at a primary school in Thurrock where pupils affectionately called him Mr T. Following her husband's death, Mrs. Trezais resigned from her own job teaching vulnerable children as an assistant head teacher, which she loved after very understandably struggling to cope without Richard. She said, Richard was not just my husband, but my best friend, my rock. Losing him the way I did is something I will never recover from. And the prosecutor said that when she closed her eyes, all she could see was what happened rather than her husband's smiling face. And I think according to press reports, Richard Trezise was hit whilst he was waiting at a bus stop. So, you know, that was a really brutal impact. Sienna Haskell, the daughter of Paul's second victim, Eileen Haskell, said in a statement, my mum was ripped from us a year ago, and before I could even start to process my grief, I had to watch my father die too. And just an aside here, her father, Eileen's husband, died barely a year after the crash that claimed his wife from cancer. And I, I don't know if he was suffering from cancer at the time he lost his wife, but um, you know, it certainly uh, wouldn't have helped. Sienna went on to say what I would not give to see my mother again and have her hug me and tell me that everything is going to be okay. The worst part is knowing that this could have all been avoided. And addressing Paul Ballard in court, she added, 
The pain you have caused goes beyond words. Your actions have ripped my life apart. Eileen's other daughter, Holly, described her mother as inspirational, caring and funny in her statement. She said, my mum was my closest friend and honestly I'm lost without her. Judge Richard Marks QC said the accident Ballard caused could have been much worse. He said the fact that other individuals were not killed or seriously injured is entirely fortuitous. Speaking about the victim's bereaved relatives, he said, each of them is utterly devastated by the loss that they have sustained. It goes without saying that no sentence that I impose upon you will seem adequate to any of them or will seem capable of compensating them for their absolutely devastating loss. Paul Ballard was handed a nine-year prison sentence and an 11 and a half year disqualification from driving, but he wasn't in court to hear his sentencing. He participated via video link from Belmarsh Prison, where he was on remand for rape, attempted rape, criminal damage and making threats to kill. So, a few weeks after being sentenced to nine years for dangerous driving, Ballard was up in court again on all four of these charges, all of which he denied. The court heard how he launched an attack on a woman shortly after 5am on the 19th of September in 2020 in a hotel in Hatfield Heath. So this would have been nearly seven months to the day since he caused that fatal car crash. In those seven months, Paul was free to continue on his self-destructive path. During the incident, Ballard told his victim, Your life is ending. You're dying tonight. However, the victim bravely fled the room and found a member of hotel staff who then called the police. The police attended and safeguarded the woman and Ballard later claimed to have had consensual sex with her and he denied that he had threatened her. But he was found guilty on all counts at Chelmsford Crown Court and sentenced to 10 years in prison, a sentence that will run consecutively to his nine-year sentence rather than concurrently. Speaking after sentencing, the leading investigator, Detective Constable Dan Lambert said, Today Ballard has been sentenced to 10 years in jail after subjecting this woman to a terrifying ordeal. Our priority throughout this investigation has been ensuring her welfare and securing justice for her. The strength she has shown has been remarkable throughout. As a force, we take crimes against women and girls extremely seriously and I'm very proud to have played a part in securing justice for Ballard's victim and he will now spend a significant amount of time behind bars as a result. And he added, I want to again pay tribute to the bravery shown to the victim in this case. No one should ever have to go through the ordeal she has endured but I hope there is some comfort in the knowledge that her attacker is now behind bars for some time. So clearly, this was a man whose life was spiralling out of control. Before we come on to the second of today's cases, let's just take a moment to hear from our second show sponsor. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colours, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The second of today's cases is, as I said earlier, a nod to last week's episode, in which we talked about concealing a body and preventing the lawful burial of a body. 
In that episode, I mentioned a couple called Hans and Eva Rawsing. Well, this is their story. Hans Christian Rawsing was born in Sweden in June 1963 into a life of immense privilege. And when I use that word, I'm not talking about the kind of privilege Bethan was on about last week when she said she felt guilty for gluing dried bits of pasta to paper in the name of art and then just binning it rather than cooking it. I'm talking about serious privilege. Hans Christian was born into a food packaging dynasty and whilst that might not sound overly glamorous, his family were worth billions. He was educated in Sweden and America and he wanted for nothing, in a material sense at least. As he embarked on adulthood, Hans Christian decided to go travelling around India, and this acted as a kind of spiritual awakening for him. When he returned from his travels, he turned his back on the family business, deciding instead to forge his own path in life. There was no animosity though, and Hans Christian continued to benefit from the family's immense wealth. Things didn't really go to plan for Hans Christian, however. Following his travels, he lived a life of excess and drug taking, and by his mid-twenties, he found himself in rehab. And it was here, in an exclusive rehab clinic in the US in the late 1980s, that he met a beautiful blonde socialite by the name of Eva Kemeny. She was the daughter of a wealthy Pepsi-Cola executive and property developer. And in each other, Hans Christian and Eva found sobriety and they went on to marry in 1992 before having four children together. The 90s saw the couple living their best lives. Sober and devoted to one another, they split their time between their homes in Belgravia where they owned a £70 million townhouse and Barbados where they owned a £15 million beachfront mansion. The Rawsings weren't just rich, they were super rich. They travelled on private jets, they had a retinue of domestic staff and they mixed with billionaires and royalty on a daily basis. And given such privilege, it would have been all too easy for them to live a life of selfish opulence without a second thought to those less fortunate. But actually, the Rawsings were true philanthropists. Having suffered with addiction themselves, they knew firsthand the extent to which it could destroy lives, and they knew how fortunate they had been to be afforded the treatment they received, to have a second chance at life, and of course they knew that that wouldn't be the case for everybody, so they set about investing many of their millions in drug treatment programmes, funding rehab clinics across the world. For more than a decade, they substantially financed Mentor, an international charity founded by the Queen of Sweden, which helps guide young people away from drug abuse. And on the Caribbean island of Barbados, home to their stunning beachfront mansion, they funded Verdon House, a rehab centre run by the Barbadian Substance Abuse Foundation. Its website states, The clients at Verdon House are from any and everywhere. Addiction is no respecter of colour, class, creed or nationality, anyone can become an addict. And I thought that summed up so well what we often say on this show. So many of the subjects of our episodes just took a wrong turn in life. So as I said, the 90s saw Hans Christian and Eva Rawsing living their best lives while also doing a lot of good for people less fortunate than themselves. They were lauded by high society and the Prince of Wales dubbed Hans Christian one very special philanthropist. But the turn of the millennium brought temptation back into their lives. 
After 11 years of total abstinence, the moment got the better of Eva and she decided that one glass of champagne on the eve of the millennium would do no harm. But of course it did and soon both Eva and Hans were once again struggling with a multitude of addictions. Now, they kind of went off the radar in the early noughties. However, they were thrust back into the limelight in 2008 when Hans Christian was seized at his London home after Eva had been detained by security guards at the nearby American embassy when they found crack and heroin in a handbag. More drugs were found at the house they shared and both Hans Christian and Eva were taken to Charing Cross Police Station for questioning. They were ultimately charged with possession of a large amount of cocaine and smaller quantities of crack, heroin and cannabis and they admitted to possessing Class A drugs and both received a police caution. The couple's arrest was widely reported at the time and acquaintances portrayed them as struggling in middle age with the legacy of a life in which most of the big challenges were already taken care of. And I wish I could say here that this was the wake-up call they so desperately needed. But sadly, it wasn't and their addictions continued, unabated, for the next four years until a tragic set of circumstances prevailed. On the morning of July the 11th in 2012, police stopped Hans Christian after noticing that he was driving erratically in Wandsworth in south-west London. When they searched his car, they discovered a large amount of mail belonging to his wife Eva, as well as drugs paraphernalia. Officers then went to the couple's home in Belgravia, where they found the second floor annex locked and sealed with gaffer tape and domestic staff reluctant to allow them entry. When they finally made it inside, they detected a smell indicating a decomposing body and found Eva's badly rotting remains lying under a pile of clothes, bedding and bin bags. Now, I think last week Bethan said Eva's remains had been there for a week or two. Actually, we know, having done all the research, that it was more likely two months. During that time, Hans Christian had attempted to mask the smell by spreading a deodorising powder around her body. He was arrested and bailed to a secure mental unit before being charged the following month with delaying the lawful burial of his wife's body. He pleaded guilty to that charge and also to a charge of drug possession and he was ultimately handed a suspended sentence. He didn't go to prison and he didn't face any other charges uh, in relation to the death of his wife. The court heard that following his arrest, Hans Christian had told police, I fully understand that my beloved wife of 19 years is dead and I am devastated, particularly for my children. He added, I do not have a very coherent recollection of events leading up to Eva's death, save to assure you I have never wished or done her any harm. I did not supply her with drugs and I have been very traumatised since her death. I do not know what caused her death. I do not feel able to confront the reality of her death. And he went on by saying, with the benefit of hindsight, I think that following her death, I did not act rationally. I tried to carry on as if her death had not happened and batted away any inquiries about her. I also took some measures to remove the smell. I believe that in the period since Eva's death, I suffered some sort of breakdown. Alexander Cameron QC defending said Hans Christian had been devastated by the death of his beloved wife and that he had been unable to face up to the reality of the situation. He told the court, the defendant committed this offence when, as Shakespeare would have put it, the balance of his mind was disturbed. 
He said Eva Rawsing's parents had been laudably forgiving, supportive and understanding, with her father Tom describing his son-in-law as a wonderful father and a wonderful man, but conceding that he was very ill. Mr Cameron went on, despite or perhaps because of the economic circumstances of his upbringing, the defendant had always had unusually strong feelings of anxiety, feelings of inferiority and a tendency to medicate by drug taking. The court heard that the couple's addiction had worsened in 2007, at which point they began living almost exclusively on the second floor of their mansion, having little contact with anyone from the outside world. Prior to her death, Eva had entered a drug rehabilitation programme in California, returning to London on April the 29th, and Mr Cameron said her husband had not gone with her because he had been unable to locate his passport. They had around a week together before she died after her return from rehab. Initial toxicology reports indicated the presence of cocaine and amphetamines and indications from her pacemaker suggested the date of death was the morning of May the 7th. CPS London Head of Homicide Gary Dolby said, When making the decision to charge Hans Rawsing with preventing the lawful burial of Eva Rawsing, the Crown Prosecution Service gave careful consideration as to whether a prosecution was in the public interest. Mr Rawsing has well documented personal problems which no doubt contributed to his actions in the weeks following his wife's death. However, he went to some lengths to conceal her body despite numerous opportunities to tell someone what happened. This resulted in Mrs Rawsing's family being unaware of her death for some time after it happened. His actions were unlawful and it is right that he now has a criminal conviction. Judge Richard McGregor Johnson said, If ever there was an illustration of the utterly destructive effects of drug misuse on an individual and their family, it is to be found in the facts of this case. You and your wife had every material advantage and, for a time, a happy family. Your relapse into the misuse of drugs, together with that of your wife, destroyed all of that. It is graphically illustrated by the difference between the rooms that visitors to your home saw and the utter squalor of the rooms that you lived in. So it's a, a very it was a very sad ending, of course, for Eva Rawsing, a loving mother, wife and daughter, and she was just 48 years old when she died. And at that time, she was reported to be the wealthiest woman in the UK. On the 14th of December in 2012, the year that she died, a coroner said Eva died as a result of her dependent abuse of drugs. For Hans Christian, although he will, I am sure, never get over the death of his wife, there has been somewhat of a happy ending. He got sober, he married high society darling Julia Delves Broughton, and together they have picked up where Hans Christian and Eva left off in the late 90s. They have devoted themselves to charity work. So, as I said, there was that central theme running through both of today's cases, and I think it just shows it doesn't necessarily matter what start you have in life in terms of a materialistic or financial sense. Uh, Anyone really can uh, fall prey to addictions, drug addiction, Uh, making the wrong decision and um, catastrophic consequences will often ensue.
So very, um, very sad case, particularly the second one. And of course, a, a sad first case in, in, in regards to the victims uh, that were involved in that. Um, get in touch in all the usual ways, of course. Please let us know what you think of these cases. I know a couple of you got in touch already uh, regarding the first of today's cases. And you said that you remembered Des or, or Paul Ballard uh, like I had from my childhood and, and that you were really shocked by his crimes. And I think I think that's because, it, as I said, it was quite underreported. So, um, so, yeah. So, yeah, get in touch. Instagram, Facebook, we're also on YouTube. And if you do want to check us out on Patreon, then just head over to patreon.com slash podcast. And we will see you next week. We will be back together then. Have a good week. We'll see you then. Bye.